1 Peter chapter 1. We won't, unfortunately, have slides this morning, and so you'll have to listen carefully and, and um, follow right along. We're in our journey at 1 Peter, looking at encouragement through God's enabling. And it is a very practical book. It's a powerful book. <clears throat> I really believe almost anything that you will face in this day and age can be found in, in receiving help and answers from the book of 1 Peter. And so uh, I want us to really get it. I, I want us to get through it. And you may not think that in the small bite size uh, that morsels that we're taking. I don't want to ever get too small of, of a portion and that we end up creating something that's not there. Or, and I don't want to take too big of a section and we miss what is there. So it's really a unique dynamic just wanting to follow the text. And, and I, I trust this will continue to unlock. I feel like if we get these key verses here that we're looking at the previous uh, week, several weeks ago, today's and the next one, then the rest of it will kind of flow out of that. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean here in just a moment. But let's look at verse number 13. And that's the message we preached the last time we were in. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Let's stand together and we'll read beginning in verse 13. <clears throat> we'll read down to verse 17. <clears throat> now, he says wherefore, verse 13, that means because of what was said before. For 12 verses, Peter unfolded all the reasons that we have to celebrate God's great love and gift of salvation and what God is doing in our life, refining us, preserving us through His great love. That's what verse, the first 12 verses were about. So verse 13, he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind to be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear." And as you see by the punctuation, the sentence continues, but we'll stop with that thought there. Now, first 12 verses, he gave no commands. He gave us, however, these wonderful jewels of God's plan of redemption and package of salvation and giving us things that we can embrace as reality of knowing God. But then we get to verse 13 and we saw in our last message the very first command that is given to us in these verses. And, and it's found in that phrase in the middle of verse 13. Hope to the end for the grace. So he's telling us now be filled with hope. And we know this, that Bible hope is different than the way we use it. We use the word hope like wishful thinking. I hope he doesn't preach too long. Wishful thinking. <laughs> Bible hope is a, it's not a guarantee, but it's a 
confident expectation. And we have, he gave us 12 verses to have a confident expectation in God. Then we come now to verse 15 and we see the second command in these verses. It's the command, be holy. The first command is hope. The second command is be holy. It's found in verse 15 and verse 16. So this morning, I want us to carry this thought that Peter is giving to people who are in need because of stress and pressure and persecution and to us today as well. And that is, we can go from hope to holiness. From hope to holiness. Thank you. Please be seated. He says in verse 13, be hope filled. Let that hope that you have in God fill you. Be filled with hope in God. And then he tells us in verse 15 and 16, be a holy person. Let your holiness be like the holiness of God. I think one of the things that we're going to see that he wants us to see is that when you hope in God, you are a God-saturated person. He wants you to be oriented with God, orientation on God, calibrated to God. A hope-filled person can hear the news, look at the news, receive the worst possible news to your situation and still be hope-filled because it's in God. You're saturated with God. And then he goes on to say, be holy. What does that mean? It means you're God-centered, you're saturated with God, you're calibrated to the nature of God. So hope-filled is a God-centered, saturated person, and a holy person is a God-filled, God-saturated, God-centered person. Now, when he says in verse 13, be hope-filled, the source of that hope is the grace of God. Be filled with hope in the wonderful, marvelous, you know this one, amazing grace. The grace of God. What is God's grace? It's His enabling. You know God has given you grace that will enable you to do everything that He wants you to do. See, for a Christian to say, I can't do that. I can't read my Bible like that. I can't pray. I can't go to church like that. I can't do that. You can if you know Jesus and you put your hope in him. He's got all the grace you need to enable you to be what you ought to be and do what you ought to do. The source of hope is the grace of God. And what he's going to get across in these next couple verses is when it comes to holiness, the standard of holiness is also God. The source of your hope is God's grace. The standard of holiness is God. See, what happens is when it comes to religion, things of the world, um, things of, of, of religiosity, 
we all have standards by how we operate. When it comes to going to heaven, a lot of times people have their standard. I'm doing the best I can. I've not killed anybody yet. I, I, I give, I come to church, I, I mean, I'm a pretty good person. Well, the problem with that is you're using a standard that God doesn't use. You can't get into God's heaven unless you do it God's way, so why don't you use His standard? Salvation is not by what you do, or you would say, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, look at what I did. And salvation is by what God does. And so when we get saved, we then, if we're not careful, we'll begin to pick up the same kind of thinking of using a different standard. Well, I think I'm pretty good. You know, I'm at church more than they are. Well, I, I, I you know, I, I, I went to Christian school you know, I, I serve, I work, I, I'm pretty good. Kind of the problem there again is the same problem that many who are going to hell use, and that is your own standard. The standard is not you or what you think. It's not me or what I think. The standard is what God says, and it is God. You know, sometimes when it comes to eating and where you are in your journey of, of fitness, your weight, um, you, you, you tend to have different standards. You can say it's what the scale says. You can manipulate the scale. You can say, well, my clothes fit. Isn't it miserable whenever... Your clothes just don't fit. I mean, it's miserable to me. I don't like the feeling when my clothes don't fit. And that's kind of how I know, well, maybe i got to cut back. I can't have as many Reese's until I get my clothes to fit. I mean, clothes, that's kind of what I go off of. I don't necessarily go off of the, the scale. Because the scale can, can read right based upon what the doctor says it ought to be. But my clothes don't fit. And I'd rather my clothes fit than... Whatever the scale says. And so uh, we, we've got different standards. And when my, my belt won't tighten or my pants won't button, then I gotta go to look for the larger size in my closet. And, and I've got the, I've got the uh, smaller size over here and, and I've got the larger size over here and, and I gotta swap those out. And, and, and I want my clothes to last and so I fluctuate. And just so that I can maintain longevity. And, and, but, but that's how, how I go. Anybody else monitor? You go off of how your clothes fit? Yeah. And so, uh, who, who shook? Daniel, Thomas, were you shaking your head now? Yeah, I wasn't asking you anyway. So. <laughs> I'd be ashamed to just have one stripe in my pajama. I don't <laughs> want a skinny person judging me on anyway, but... So, you know, I, my, my, but, but then when my clothes are getting really loose, I like that. You know, where, where I can, in fact, look, 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 at, look at my pants now. Look at this. You, you see how they're bunched up there? Can you see that? You see it? It's bunched up. 
But in full disclosure, I had to go out and buy a bigger pair of pants and <laughs> I didn't get a bigger belt, so I've got the same size belt with the bigger pair of pants. But I feel good in it. That's, that's what matters. I feel good in this. But what did I do? I manipulated my standard. <laughs> I, 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 it wasn't coming off and there were too many Reese's over there and, and tis the season. And so I, I had to make some adjustments and went with the bigger size pants. Now I have room to grow. <laughs> and so it's, I got to get a bigger belt though. And uh, we have different standards. We tend to do that in Christian life. We tend to do that in our own walk with God. We tend to do that in our own experience with the Lord. And so then we get this mindset of no one's going to tell me otherwise. But I think God expected that, and I think Peter anticipated that. And so here he's introducing to us this concept of the holiness of God. Do you know if we were to pass out an average to an average church a three-by-five card and ask what you believe the primary attribute of God would be, most churches would write down, God is love. He is love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. 1 John chapter 4 tells us that God is love. But do you know that the primary attribute of God is not His love? Before He ever wrote in 1 John 4 that God is love, He wrote in 1 John 1 and verse 5 that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Do you know that God cannot be loving apart from being holy? God cannot be merciful apart from being holy. God cannot be gracious apart from being holy. God's primary attribute is that God is holy. Jesus would have never had to go to the cross except for the fact that he's holy. His holiness demanded that sin be punished. But because of His holiness, God in His love, He sent His Son, Jesus, to take your place and mine. But every attribute of God is contingent upon Him being holy. Exodus 15 and verse 11, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful doing wonders. Leviticus 20 and verse 26, and ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy. 1 Samuel 2, 2, there is none holy as the Lord. 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 10, glory ye in his holy name. Psalm 93 and verse 5, holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Psalm 99 and verse number 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy Hill. Psalm 111 and verse number nine, holy and reverend is his name. That's why I don't take the title reverend. Holy and reverend is his name. The Bible says in Isaiah 6 and verse three, one angel cried unto another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 57 and verse 15, thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Habakkuk 2 and verse 20, the Lord is in his holy place. Let all the earth 
keep silence before him. See, God can never be a loving God, merciful God, gracious God until he is first and foremost holy. That's our God. And Peter says, because of that, you and I are to be holy. Not like a group of people, but like the God of his people. And so here he's emphasizing the truth of holiness. And when we see this most clearly in the Bible, we'll find certain implications that may stun us, that may baffle us, that may make us uncomfortable because they're unique. And I say this to us because many people at this point, they don't want to listen to what the Bible has to say. They're going to go find a church where a pastor didn't listen to what the Bible has to say about this. And, and what they want to find is a church that will change the standard like I changed the standard of my pants. And, and we want to find something that fits us, not that we have to fit him. But that's not what Peter says. When once a person who gets saved, they begin to make some sense of God and they suddenly draw out some of these unique implications when they find out about God's holiness, such as, you know, I, 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 I'm supposed to be at church. I'm supposed to go to church, not when I feel like it, but when God feels like it. I'm supposed to give. I'm supposed to give through the church. I'm supposed to do the, and we start finding all these implications. And it causes some people just to say, I, I, I don't, I, can we just talk about getting saved in heaven? And God says, well, that's what I spent 12 verses on. But I'm telling you, here's what has to happen until you get there, or you're going to go to heaven if you're saved, but you're going to go second rate. Mentioned in Sunday school, why don't you go first class? Why don't you go enjoying God? Now, let me give you this. To me, this is a help. It's encouraging. So let me give you a little bit of a context. Verse 13 through 21. You find here that there are three main commands. Three. There are 16 statements 16 admonitions, but there are three main commands. And what that means is that these other 16 are participles. They're all uh, indicative with, they're, they're helping support these three main commands. We've already looked at one, verse 13. Hope, be full of hope. That's the first command. Get strong in Bible hope. Rest your hope fully in God's grace. Hope completely. Set your hope perfectly, entirely, unchangeably, without doubt or despondency upon the grace of God. Be full of hope. The second command is be holy. Verse 15 and 16. That's the second main command. So he says, verse 13, be full of hope. Verse 15, be full of holiness. And then verse 17 is the third command. It's the third imperative. And basically it is this, fear. 
fear God. So in verse 15, the command is be holy. Verse 17, conduct the rest of your life in the fear of God. So you have three commands. Live in hope, live in holiness, live in fear. Everything else, that while they're commands, they're supporting the three main ideas. Now, if you, if you just say, I just take them all as commands, fine. You, you obey God, live it out. I just find it to be a help when we see the, the three imperatives and the others would be supporting participles and indicative of these uh, three main commands. And so God is telling us here that we are to go from hope to holiness to fear and we'll deal with the fear of God at a later time. But he says, be holy. And let's be sure that we see that the holiness that we're being called to is patterned after God's holiness. Notice again verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written. And that means verse 16, he's quoting Old Testament. He's quoting Leviticus 11.44. You shall be holy unto me, for I am holy. So he's quoting. He says, you in all manner of your conversation. The word conversation doesn't mean speaking. It means all, it's old King James English word in every aspect of your life. You're to be holy because, verse 16, the Bible says so. That's what Peter's saying. So on the grounds of, of the, 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 the word of God, on the basis of God's holiness... We're to be holy. So first, verse 13, be hopeful in God. Now, be holy like God. So what does it mean to be holy? Holiness has an idea in the Old Testament, and I gave you all those Old Testament verses, and it's, it's the idea of being separated from, being separated from anything that's evil, that's, that's sinful, that's defective. And the Bible teaches us that God is separate. He's separated from. In other words, God, he cannot sin. God cannot sin. He cannot look upon sin. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, God turned his back on his only begotten son because God is holy. He can't sin. He can't look upon sin, nor can he allow you and I to get away with sin. He is separate from sin. That's why we say the Sabbath day is holy to the Lord. Exodus 31 verse 15. That's why the Bible teaches the priests are holy to the Lord. 2 Chronicles 23 and verse 6. And then there are things that are holy, set apart to the Lord. These premises. There's nothing spiritual per se about brick and mortar, but we have separated these properties unto the Lord. We separated them from something. Uh, that's why we won't have certain kinds of activities. We won't rent it out for certain events. We had uh, some years back uh, a Hollywood production company wanted to come in and pay us to park their vehicles. And um, they were just temporarily while they're shooting a scene, can we park them here? I said, you can't. They said, do you want to know how much? I said, 
Maybe, but, but I, and I said, no, I can't. It doesn't matter how much. Because I said I, I preach against what you're doing. I preach against what you're showing, and when you put it out, I'll probably preach against it. Why? Psalm 101, verse 3, David said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. Amen. And so this is a place that's designated for God, separated from the things that defile God. Now, the question is, how holy is God? Well, entirely. God is completely separate from sin. God is holy in that he is set apart from all that is evil, all that is defective, and all that is impure. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think that God has a little bit of sin, would you? Even if you've never read the Bible, you would assume, well, yeah, he's holy. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 of Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, who never said a bad word, never thought a bad thought, never did a bad deed. He took your sin and mine. He took our place in punishment and paying for our sin. But they're completely holy. They've never sinned. But separation from sin, separation from evil is only part of the definition when the Bible says that God is holy, he's not only set apart from, but he is set apart to. To his glory, his righteousness. And the glory of God is that radiance, that outward expression, the value of who he is based upon what he is. He's holy. So Christian living is what Peter's talking about. To those who are persecuted, who have problems. And Peter says, read these 12 verses and be encouraged with what God is up to, what God's been doing. He talked about a salvation that the angels in heaven, they're in awe over. And he says, because of all that, verse 13 be filled with hope. Verse 14, don't yield to what you used to be before you got saved so that verse 15 and 16, you can be holy in every aspect of your life just as the one who saved you is holy. What does that mean for us to be holy? That means be saturated with God. Be saturated with God. Sometimes when we wrestle with biblical realities like being hope-filled, being holy, we miss the forest for the trees. What I mean by that is the forest here would be Christian living is being saturated by God. We're getting wrapped up with holiness and what we want to know is what, what's the fine print? Or what we want to know is what's the bottom line? What, 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 what can I not do? You miss the forest for the trees. It's not about what you do or don't do. It's about being saturated with God. Do you know how easy it is? I, I, I wish there was, there was a better illustration. I just always come back to it again because it's a biblical illustration of marriage. Marriage, how simple it is to get married. 
A, a wedding can be elaborate, it can be long, but the transaction takes place in just a few seconds. And the transaction is not listed typically in, in, in normal, basic weddings of, can we go down through the fine print? Can you tell me what it'll be like in 10 years? Can you tell me what it'll be like in 20? Can we, now, now, now the world in Hollywood tries to finagle all that and they still have not found success in it. But what the Bible teaches us is that God's people, if you can trust God with your soul, you can trust them with your life. And God has a plan for each and every person. And you can trust God to bring the right person, the right time, the right way into your life. And you can make a commitment and a, and a wedding. Uh, a marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant that is signed before God and before others to each other to love one another and to, to fulfill the basic responsibilities of husband, man to wife and wife to, to their husband until death do us part. Not murder, but until death do us part. And so it's very simple, very, very simple. And there's a lot of things in there that I didn't know. There's a lot of things in there my wife didn't know. But all we did know is that it's done. It's a done deal. And, and, and there's a lot of things about God. I didn't know this is what I was going to do. I don't even know what's going to happen. Someone asked me, if you could know what the next 10 years would be like, do you want to know? No. No. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good just to trust him for today. But I know this. He's trustworthy. And so my responsibility is to be filled with hope and to be holy. What does that mean? That means be saturated with God. What does that mean? That means God in the morning, God at midday, God in the evening. God is my motive. God is my guide. God is my moral standard. God is my comfort. God is my strength. God is my truth. God is my... Joy, you get the idea? What emerges from 1 Peter in the whole New Testament is that the Christian life is a life lived whose standard is God. It's a standard by God, for God, in God, through God. John 3 and verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul wrote, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ literally lives in me. And the life which I now live by the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3 and verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Philippians 1 and verse 21, Paul said, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Amen. What does that mean? That means being saturated with God, always aware of God. Always submissive to God. Always trusting God. Always guided by God. Always hoping in God. Always wanting to be holy. Set apart from anything that defiles God, that displeases God. And set apart to 
When I got married, I was set apart from every other female in the United States and around the world, those who I didn't even know. Just because I said yes and I do to one. When I said yes, I do to Jesus, I was separating to him from every other possibility that could come down the pike, every other avenue, every other temptation, any new sin, any possible stronghold, any other opportunity. It pales in comparison to the one who loved me, who died for me, was buried and resurrected. I'm telling you, if you only think about God when you go to church, you only think about God when you pull out your Bible, if you only think about God when you have a problem, if you are the one that's dictating how your relationship with God works, excuse me, you're in the wrong seat. You're acting like God, but you're not. You're not holy. Holiness doesn't have to do with what you do only. Oh, it affects it. Verse 14 is that. We'll talk about that at another time. By the way, verse 14, let me draw your attention to it. As obedient children, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. You know what the word fashioning means? Your clothing. This is not a spiritual play on words. This is clothing. Not clothing yourself according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Do you think Peter maybe is writing to some people who were dressing like those who are going to hell or dressing? Someone says, you're not supposed to preach on stuff like this Sunday morning. Well, I don't preach on what you're supposed to preach on. I preach on what God puts in the book. And if we preach the book, that's what he says. I can't help it. You didn't hear that down at the happy, holy, clappy place. But if you'll come to God's holiness, you'll be saturated with God. And you'll find out as obedient children, you are not to fashion yourself as those who are on their way to hell. That's what he says. That's what he says. never ceases to amaze me how insignificant God seems to be in contemporary American culture. Went to Fiji years ago on a missions trip and, and I enjoyed the time there and back in 2005. And, and you know, the, the Fijian national anthem was to the tune of the hymn Dwelling in Beulah Land. Very interesting. I asked the missionary there, had been there for quite some time, what is the biggest detriment that you face here in Fiji? You know what his answer was? Brother John, the missionary said, Christians from the United States. Because our culture has a standard of dress. that appreciates modesty. Our culture, he said, not our Christianity, just our culture. But so-called Christians come over, and they're dressed like they're getting ready to play a softball game. And they step up in church, and they want to bring us to worship. 
and they're leaving out a very important element. Holiness. Saturated with God. It never ceases to amaze me that not just in our culture, but also in our churches, how insignificant God really seems to be. When people leave or when people go to other churches, they don't usually say, I just want to get so close to God, I'll do whatever it takes. They're usually saying, I, I, I just, I don't want to do that. Or I kind of like it over there because I like the band. I like to jam out. I mean, we, 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 we jam out with Jesus. Well, Jesus didn't jam. He died for you. He's not the big man upstairs. He is God. On the other hand, as I look from culture in our churches today, I look into the New Testament which defines my life and ministry. I am overwhelmed at the reality of who God is in everything, the incredible, the stunning, and even frightening concept of a holy God separate from anything that is defiling and separated to the cause of his Father. That's why Peter says in verse 13, we must maintain a sober-minded perspective, resist becoming desensitized to the tendency of society and religious institutions that will attempt to diminish the greatness of God. See, the modern portrayal of God today is too insignificant and is perpetuating every area of our life causing us to think this is normal. It's normal to go to church once in a while. I mean, when do they, most of the world think about going if they're going to go? Christmas and Easter. Do you know that Jesus lived between being born and resurrected? There was a time he lived and from the time he saves a person to the time you leave this earth, he wants you to learn how to live with him. Amen. That's why these verses are so unique. Because they're calling us to be like God in his holiness. And we've said that God's holiness is his uniqueness. In other words, he is a being. If I could say it that way, he's one of a kind. And so it shouldn't be surprising that the implications of this, they are surprising. He says, live in hope, live in fear, so that you can become like God and live in holiness. You shouldn't have to tell God's people, hey, don't forget about church. I mean, I don't have to call them up and say, hey, don't forget about work. Don't forget about your kid's birthday. But why do we have to say, God's still alive. He's still on the throne. 
Don't say you love him if you're not being saturated with him and by him. You're not hoping in, oh, I need God. He pulls me through. Well, he's going to dunk you under if you don't get your act together because he's concerned that you're filled with hope to experience his grace so that you can be saturated with him and holy. He's not some spare tire. He's not your 911. He's God. Well, some of you are getting pale. This might be about as much as you can take this morning. God's holiness is to impact our life. So, so, so what, what did the preacher, what's he getting at? What, what's this about this morning? Simply this. Be saturated with God. Be filled with hope, saturated with God. Be holy. What does that mean? Set apart from anything that's not of God. Set apart to anything that is God, God-centered. Calibrate your life. to stop, stop trying to calibrate God to you. Be saturated with Him. In your giving, in your living, in your looking, in your speaking, in your walking, be saturated with God. What is salvation? God moves inside of you. What's revival? You being restored back to what He has in store of being saturated with God. Get serious about God. He's serious about you. Some of you are already thinking, I, I got plans tonight. I wasn't planning on coming. We'll change them. We got family. Bring them. They don't want to come. Leave them. What's so difficult? You don't know my family. No. But I'm saying you need to know about my God, the one who loves you, the one who's got a plan for you so that you can experience him. So you're saying that we don't have to worry about what we do or don't do. No, I didn't say that. I'm just saying you'll miss the forest for the trees if you're focusing on. Give me your list. Let me see your list. This isn't Bible categories. No, this is about God. Saturated with God. So often we're trying to think of what I got to do for him. I got to do for him. No, 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 no. This is about you. Put the sponge of your soul into the realm of God's love and just let that saturate your soul with him. Let's stand together, please. Lord, we do, we do need you. I, I need you, and I, I need you to help, help tie these dots together and to, to, to make this clear in the spirit and the mind and the soul. Lord, I, I, I'm, I don't want to draw back. I don't want to hold back. I don't want to cut corners, and, but I don't want to over, overly 
complicated. I don't think I can simplify it too much. And that's really been my struggle is to try to get it across to, so that it, we don't miss the force for the trees. We don't miss the simplicity that is in you. But Lord, I, I pray that you'd really just get down to the root of the issue that the problem is not with you, our Savior. It's with us, ourself. And all we have to do is yield. All we have to do is surrender. All we have to do is trust you and obey. Lord, we need to be saturated. I need saturation with you. I, 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 I cannot substitute what I do for you in place of being saturated by you, with you. I need you. I don't just need you to help me do my thing. I need you. And every one of us in here, we need you. We need your Godhead in our life. We need your guidance. We need your guardship within our life. We need your enabling. We need your protecting. We need you. We need your love to be manifested. We need your wisdom. Lord, we, we need to know ultimately you're God. You're God and we're not. And as Peter said, now live like an obedient child. So Lord, help us. Help us, I pray.